and welcome back to Play to Find Out. I am one of your hosts, Eamon, also known as Voidlight on the Discord. And I am Arthur, or Art Projects, also from the Dungeon World Discord. It's real exciting to see you again, Eamon. We have uh, yeah. this beautiful tropical surroundings right now as we are at sort of a tiki bar sort of situation. It's lovely. The, wo- the weather is warm. The waves are crashing off in the distance. I'm sipping on an elaborately concocted alcoholic coconut drink. And all is right with the world after a long day of kraken slaying and oceanic adventuring. Yeah, I, I was kind of asking just for a sort of a water because I wasn't feeling uh, getting too much in the drinking just yet. And uh, instead of a cup, the, the sort of um, simian looking bartender gave me a, a broad flower that sort of uh, had petals overlapping enough to be used as a cup. So I'm, en- I'm enjoying that. It's kind of lightly florally flavoring this water. So, mm-hmm. And it's a gorgeous aesthetic too. And the little oh, bamboo yeah. s- strand that you're using as a straw, just a lovely, lovely addition. I could see uh, taking off a star from the review for people that were afraid of heights, but I'm all good. Yeah, I, I will say the fact that this is suspended basically off of a cliff with the crashing waves below, a little unsettling, is what it is. Yeah, some some of the patrons in here have wings and stuff, though, so I feel like they're kind of used to it. Yeah, well, we are not so lucky. No. Uh, no no loot to stop us from, from taking a tumble if we get a little bit too deep into these cups. And speaking of getting deep into cups, this is a little bit of a stretch, but here we go. Speaking of getting too deep into cups, Eamon, it looks to me like you've got a highlight that one might have gotten drunk afterwards. (laughs) No, not exactly. And I'll tell you why. Um, This was, uh, I wanted to do just a one shot since I just moved back from uh, St. Louis to my home uh, in in the Kansas City area. And um, the most of my friends are at least an hour drive away at the moment um, from, from where I'm living. And so I, I just did a one chat with my family, like whoever was available around the house to just do like a quick, like hour and a half game. So I was essentially playing a very short one shot with whatever members of my family were just available, which I don't do like that often. But anyway, it, it, it ended up being a game with my youngest sibling and my mom. So um, that, that that was a dynamic where it was, it was a different uh, table vibe than uh, this sort of murder hobo aesthetic where you can expect the people to just be like living vicariously through their characters and talking about carousing and stuff like that. It, it was nothing like that. Um, the The scenario was that they they both rolled random characters in a, a very lightweight um, uh game system that i was using called troika which i might talk a little bit more about later but essentially one of the best things about troika is there's a d66 table of random character backgrounds that are all very flavorful and very whimsical of sort of a fairy tale type world and my mom rolled up a thaumaturge which is sort of like a holy figure uh divine caster wizard and my uh my youngest brother rolled up a a recent graduate from the academy of doors which is a, a magical college basically so they were both spellcasters of varying degrees of skill and i said that they were returning from a convention like a, an arcane casters convention that was just of spellcasters of all different stripes sort of like imagine a, a gen con but for wizardry mm-hmm. and they were they had sort of fallen uh, in with each other at the convention of just being at the same talks and demos and so and they lived in the same city um, which was called Throne that I was just lifting from uh, Kill Six Billion Demons, but they were they were just traveling on the road back, 
and they ended up running into um, some trouble with a troll on the road. My brother ended up teleporting away. But the 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 sort of final exam part of it was that when they got back to the city, it was sprung on um, Savaris, my younger brother's character, that the deadline for his final exam project was moved up to the next Friday, which was going to be in a few days. And that he basically had to find a door that had never been opened before, a sort of virgin virgin door that he would discover and and breach as the like final exam of the academy of doors and so they, they went they went on this little little journey into the basement of um valuna my mother's character's apartment complex which had been discovered to be the site of a recent archaeological find of significance and it, it, there was the threat that it was going to increase her rent so that was the invested interest of both characters that she wanted to see what was going on under her apartment and he wanted to see if there was a, a mystic door there that he could find and eventually acts like sort of they found a door in the side of a tree and um my my mother's character un, undid the spell that was sealing it and they sort of stumbled into the dining room of a bunch of gnomes that were minding their own business and um and had a good time so that was that was the thing but what i wanted to highlight from that was the fact that the fact that they both rolled up just totally random characters at the table created that connection that oh they're both playing as magic casters of different types um let's use that and so like that whole scenario just spun out of that i had nothing prepared other than just the tone that i wanted to go for for that scenario and ended up cool. being very a very tight and, and and whimsical one so so it sounds like you had sort of a point of inspiration the fact that you had two spell casters and from that point of inspiration a whole story sort of just tumbled forward. Yeah. And nice. I, I like doing that. It's a certain style of play. And I like doing that a lot just to sort of test my improvisational chops or whatever. And also just um, to avoid cliche as much as totally. possible. Of just like in a weird system, just roll up random characters and see what we can do. Especially when I know it's just going to be like just for the next hour and a half. It's like a super quick, just couple scenes. And um, yeah, uh, specifically in this game, the, I'm telling you, the random background tables, which is basically not, um, your whole character. Um, like, there's not, like, classes and backgrounds. It's your background is your whole character, basically, are just so good in this game. If you could roll uh, D66 for me, Arthur, I'll tell you what you get off this list. It's Every one of them is gold. I can make that happen for you, Ammon. Go for it. Uh, D66, for those of you who don't know out there while Arthur's rolling, is you basically roll two six-sided die and treat one of them as the ones place and one of them as the um, tens place. Uh, so basically there's 36 possible results, if I'm doing my math right, but uh, each of them is coded as a number from 11 to 66, basically. What'd you get? 52. 52. Da, 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 da. Oh, wow. That was what my brother was playing. A Sorcerer of the Academy of Doors. Wow. So, so roll, roll, roll again so we can find a, a different one. All right. Here it goes. 36. 36. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Okay, this is a great one. You just rolled a, money mon a monkey monger. It says, life on the wall was hard. One is never more than a few yards from an endless fall, but those precarious villages still need to eat. This is where you came in with your edible monkeys. The distinction is purely for appeal, since all monkeys are, of course, edible. You used to spend days on end dangling your feet off the edge of the world, watching over your chittering livestock while they scampered hither and thither. But there was no future in monkey meat or on the wall. You wanted so much more, and so you stepped off. Or you fell. 
Either way, you and some unlucky monkeys are here and now, and that's all that matters. So your possessions to start the game would be a monkey club, which is presumably to <laughs> to execute monkeys, a butcher's knife, D6, oh, no. D6 small monkeys that do not listen to you but are too scared oh, no. and hungry to travel far away from you, that's and then a pocket so full of monkey treats. I, and then you'd is... start with um, four skills in climbing, <laughs> two skills in trapping, one skill in club fighting, one skill in knife fighting. That's the best. That's so funny. <laughs> Those poor innocent monkeys. I don't know why I feel like monkeys deserve to be eaten less than, say, cow, which I will eat with reckless abandon. Well, see, it's hard to uh, raise cows on presumably some giant wall. But that is true. This game I... kind of does uh, its setting building through that. Mm -hmm. Like, It doesn't say anything about that wall or the fact that people raise monkeys anywhere else in the book. In fact, there's barely any setting material at all. But in the just the... That just the fact that there's this table of flavorful backgrounds sort of yeah. evokes that. Oh, for sure. I'm. I. I think if I personally were there, I would probably raise goats instead, <laughs> because I think they are. There are some solid climbers that can handle walls pretty well. But that's not important. That's very fun. I think this is a cool system. I really like the way that you describe it as this one dice roll at the beginning establishes so much as a character creation mechanism. I. I played a game recently where. We spent a really long amount of time just getting our characters right. Uh, we actually did two full sessions of getting character creation done because of how robust the system was. Um, this oh, is yeah. in Uncharted Worlds, which I've talked a little bit about before. Yeah. The, the way we started with just like spending three hours generating our characters and then generating all of their equipment and then generating the setting and the factions that we were going to be playing with. It was a process. It was a lot of fun because of the sheer... Uh, because of how, of how spoiled for choice we were, but it was that's how uh, an that's how Invisible Sun was for me because basically the first session was nominally character generation, and the second session was sort of character generation part two slash neighborhood generation, yeah. and those were both like four ish hour sessions where like no actual gameplay so to speak was happening just because like you said spoiled for choice the character creation is so rich each character is like eight or nine different parts of which there are dozens of choices each. You have to choose, like, your personality type for your character and, like, if you come from a wealthy background and where in the city you live and what order you are and, like, on and on. So, which is all really good, but it's a lot different from these types of games where um, you roll and you get a little package of, of goodies and then you try to rationalize how your character's uh, ideals fit into that and go from yeah. there. That's very, that is very cool. And also, it's very germane to our topic of conversation today. We're going to be covering a lot of different ways in which randomness can impact our play at the table and ways in which we can put randomness into places where it doesn't currently exist. So with that, why don't we jump into our adventure workshop and talk a little bit about how we as GMs and players can effectively use rollable tables. Absolutely. So just to get started, I want to shout out one particular thing in the book. There are very few in places in Dungeon World where this happens, as opposed to something like Dungeons & Dragons or Pathfinder, where it is just rampant. There are not a ton of random generation tables in, in, uh, in Dungeon World. There are more in Blades in the Dark, my other, my other game of choice when I'm referencing stuff on the show. But Dungeon World has really one core one that I can think of off the top of my head. And that is the random treasure table that you're supposed to roll on in order to determine what loot is available after you've slain a monster. So we're going to yeah, take a quick peek at that. That's a pretty good table, actually. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so 
one thing that's interesting about the mechanics on this table is that you roll the monster's damage die in, or, in order to determine where on the table you land. So there's a sort of a firm limit. not Well, not truly firm. There's a limit to what the best treasure you can get is. And the treasures, as you go down deeper into the table, the treasures get better and better. But then there are also some modifiers. So that mechanically is pretty interesting. The more lethal a monster is, the better its stuff is likely to be. And then that can be offset by stuff like if it's a hoarder, then you roll the damage die twice and take the higher. If it's a lord over others, you add 1d4. So fun little bits of flavor that let you think about the monster in its context, which I really like. Um, there, there are a couple are some on other... here. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, say your thing. Uh, I was going to say that there are some other places that I'm thinking of just now that Dungeon World does use random tables, but they're not always uh, keyed, um, where like they might have just a jumble of names and they're not all tied to a number, but that's a way for you to, that you could roll on that if you wished, just roll like D percentile, or even if the number doesn't exactly match up to whatever is on the table, you just sort of go with what's close enough or in that region. Um, or you just sort of uh, drop a dice onto the page and like see what, what uh, option it lands on or is close to as a way to just randomly generate um, something that you want. Additionally, uh, Dungeon World has that list of, um, of knacks to create NPCs, um, you know, where this, this character might have a way with knots or something, and, that, and that's a way of giving a, a, a significant feature to an NPC, like a knack and a motivation. And so there is some... Um, some random generation there, but it's done in the way that it's almost a tool for the GM rather than a tool for the player, which is, I think, an interesting distinction that I want to talk about in that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think, by and large, randomness is at, is at its most useful when a GM can lean on it to avoid making a choice or coming up with a good idea. The, um, I mean, I, I've talked a little bit about how name lists before have really come in handy for me. Oh, yeah. Um, now you were talking about a uh, grief grief Jericho that you mentioned. Yeah, well, grief Jericho. We'll we'll talk about grief Jericho again before this episode is over, I'm sure. But well, for now, I just want to look at one one or two quick items from the treasure table, and then we'll move along. Um, so there are a lot of these that are related to quantity of coins. So you'll say, oh, a few coins, and then you'll roll, and you'll and you'll end up with that number. Um. But number two in the list is an item useful to the current situation, which I really like the idea that I've set up a door. I don't know how to open that door as the GM until the players tell me how they're going to try to open the door. But if, if killing the guard is one way to get into the door and then they roll and they get the key, then that's awesome. Um, it's the sort of thing where, you know, maybe they didn't even intend to get the, to loot the key off of this particular guard, but they were able to find it. But now deeper into the list, we have a large art item worth 44 times 100 coins, which is one weight. Even deeper, we have a portal or secret path or directions to one and an additional item from the table. And that goes all the way up to at number 18, which you could really only get to in the most lethal of monsters, a horde. Of D10 times 1,000 coins and 1D10 times 10 gems worth 2D6 times 100 each. Which, if my math is correct, tops out at about... What am I looking at here? Somewhere in the 22,000 coin range. So, the, the, list is, the list is useful. And I feel like, in general, I, I'm always forgetting that it is there. 
And one of the things that I think a rollable table really needs to be able to do in order for me to be consistent about using it is bring some kind of like clear-cut advantage to it over just thinking for a second. This is one of those examples of a place where it's very useful to have a random table that makes me, makes it so I don't have to think about what is going to be there. Instead, I have to think about what the implication of finding that thing will be. You know, you can kind of put your trust in the system, which I, I always enjoy when a game system gives me an opportunity to trust it like this. So let's try to, well, maybe we can do this in the in the meta talk, but I, I guess it, it, it's pertinent to the discussion of effective use of rollable tables to enumerate what might be the strengths of tables as a structure and then the cons of table as a structure, um, particularly when it comes to like using them at the table. Um, I think that we're not necessarily talking about away from the table when you're doing your own GM prep. In that case, it's clear that the the random tables are are there as a source of inspiration to help you generate things you might not have thought of. And the only negative I could see there is if you use it as a crutch and just make things seem haphazard, where you roll something and you don't make an attempt to tie it into what else you've got going on or justify it, and then you you know the players will encounter something like you know suddenly there's a cow here and it's sort of like why and you don't right you don't and really I don't have a good answer for it because I've randomly right. generated the cow. Or you, or you throw it to them in a way that seems um, like a cop out. You're like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. You tell me why there's a cow here. Um, it's not as, it's not as compelling as um, a, the situation might be if there was even a slight change to it, right? If a cow suddenly appeared and also a confused-looking naked man, that at, that that at least shows like that there's some correlation. Like two elements might be related here, mm -hmm. you know, and then the players might ha they actually have something to sort of interrogate and find out why. Um, and there might, and it suggests that there is a reason. Um, sure. At the table, I think a strength of uh, random tables is it shows uh, impartiality. That um, if something is the result of a table, the players, um, it's arbitrary in one sense that it was the result of a random roll, but it's also um, it's not biased. That they're they're not worried that you came up with that as a way of either favoring them too much and making the game easy on them, or just being punitive. That they were they were and if, especially if you let the players actually do the role on the table, then they are interfacing with the world themselves in a way that it feels like control, even though they're rolling on a table. And if you modify their results somehow, that you maybe you have like higher results on the table are generally more negative, and lesser results um, are more um, positive or something like that then they uh it's it's sort of accepted by the players as a game mechanic and i think then can be very useful um especially as a way to highlight what's unique about a uh, a location or a situation um i look at them almost as a tool akin to um custom moves that if you make a custom move for a location or for a creature it highlights that there's something interesting and special to be interacted with with this and if you have a random table suited for a location it highlights what's different about here than everywhere else. I think a great way um, that that can specifically be employed that I see a lot in um, OSR type games it, uh, and that Dungeon World um, has, but not to this degree of uh, specificity, is is treasure. Like Dungeon World has a treasure, uh, a general treasure table that is suited to like how powerful the monster is to try to make the treasure fit. So you're not just always finding a handful of coins no matter what you kill. But um, sort of an I search the body table. Um, is really interesting. In Vornheim, there's one specifically suited for cities. It's, I search the body of, you know, any given person that I might be searching the body of within this city, what sort of stuff might I find? And in uh, Veins of the Earth, there's an I search the body table, but for the types of 
you know, bodies and corpses that you might find underground. And it's a very different stuff on that table versus this one. Do you want to give me a, a random uh, D100 roll, Arthur? Oh, that's going to be trickier for me because I only have D6s on hand as a Dungeon World player. But fortunately, Google can do it. 73. 73. So you would have just found a pair of dice. A pair um, of dice? I already have those. That's <laughs> so the whole problem. That's the sort of thing um, that, you know, if you if you arbitrarily sort of place that onto um, a person, the players might be all um, skeeved out and looking for connections and, and, right. and, and wondering, like, what's going on. But if they know out of character that it was a result of a random table, then it changes the way that information is digested. Yeah, that's a they really that good you, point. That yeah, they know that a, you could incorporate that into the story and that type of thing, but they don't feel, you know, they're not trying to second guess it, I guess. Yeah, a random number table or a random item table lets you make things mundane in a way that isn't confusing or out of place. Like, it, it's almost a way to excuse what the player found as being kind of it, its own, not particularly exciting piece of the world. In a game that I played recently, I had a thief rob of a couple of people as they were going from one place to another as they were passing through a, a common space and she stole from a child a small uh, rubber toy of a goblin and that was just sort of the first thing that that occurred to me of like what would a kid have in this world oh it's a goblin because i sort of wanted to give a soft consequence for succeeding at stealing in a relatively benign place where yeah. the player could say oh i feel a little guilty about that and then the character could keep on keep a hold on this goblin for herself. But now that goblin, like, it, it is just sort of lingering there as something that I can make important. And that's not necessarily what I always want out of something that has been stolen from a bag. You know, a pair of dice, that'd be a little bit more fun to just say, oh, you've got a pair of dice in your inventory now because it's what came off the table. The, um, the other thing that comes to mind with that is... I almost I almost lost my thought, but the uh, the other thing that sort of comes to mind with that is that um, the fact that you're rolling on a table of relatively like mundane things allows you to have specificity in what the item actually is. That Dungeon World sometimes hand waves away, I think, to its own detriment. It's like a lot of people would say that like you loot a body and what do you find is like a use of adventuring gear. But to me, what an adventuring gear is trying to uh, abstract is the character's planning process and their adeptness at being adventurers, mm-hmm. um, which later you can decide what that item is to your convenient advantage, which makes sense if you're abstracting buying things from a shop where you bought things you thought you might need. But if you find something on a body, in, in real life, that is also random, that you don't know what's going to be there and you just find something, right? And so the interesting part of that that I want to see at the table is not what the characters can think of that might be useful, but when they already know what it is, how can they think of a use for it? So like a character finds dice and they don't want it to just sit in their inventory or whatever, they're going to want to get use out of it. And that might inspire them to try to play a dice game with someone that might inspire them to try to, uh, you know, pretend they belong to someone famous or trade for them or, you know, things like that. And it's sort of, can you get use out of what the cards deal you rather than what can you think of with your limited resources? And it, I, I think those things don't have to um, be one or the other like you can both have specific loot found at times and also have abstracted coin abstracted adventuring gear and that sort of thing and um 
like I said before, it's a way of adding culture and depth to your setting because the type of stuff that you populate that table with is really interesting. I think you rolled a relatively mundane one of just dice, but other things on this list would be like a satirical deck of cards that depicts political figures from 10 years ago or something that looks similar to a healing potion, but it's actually a love potion and you drink it and you fall in love with whoever last wounded you a ceremonial knife that was used in a, a recent assassination attempt, like stuff like that, that you find items that speak to the nature of the body that you found them on. You know, it sort of reveals something posthumously about who that was or who they came in contact with. That's interesting, especially because this one is trying to emulate a city setting where p p potentially the people that you're going to be finding are, um, you know, actual sentient people that have lives and what that would look like for those other types of settings and what that might look like for your campaign world is even if it never really comes into play at the table or only a few times as a gm is a useful exercise that you think of what are what's the what's the stuff that my world is sort of built of absolutely and one thing that i've definitely seen with my players is that if they have something mundane they'll find a way to use it or just something that they've picked up along the way something specific They'll find a place to use it where it doesn't really matter that it is what they are using. In the deck of cards example with the political figures from 10 years ago, I can definitely imagine us doing a scene start and one of the players jumps in and says, right, we're playing cards. We're using that satirical deck and we're trying to remember who the different, uh, who the different counts are in the, deck of, in, the, in the deck of counts or whatever it happens to be. Um, and like thinking about it, I... I I would be really glad, really excited that they've remembered something like that, something really specific that they have in this fiction. And that and it, I think it enriches the whole experience. Oh, absolutely. It's adding texture to a moment because they could have uh, easily just said, we're playing a game. But if they're playing a specific game that they actually found earlier, like there's a story behind it and that, and that you yeah. totally played to find that out at the table. I, I think that Random Tables at their core used best is a tool to play to find out because something happens justify it and live with it that's yeah. uh in character that's I, that's the whole like magic of it absolutely and then the one other place where i like uh random tables to really fill in a, a gap in my own abilities is with the sort of not super important but still meaningful bits of prep um and i'm thinking specifically of sort of world details that i'm going to bring to the table during uh, during a game whether those are npc names or tavern names really names in general are a key way to use random table random tables in your moment to moment play but then also stuff like um you know randomly randomly selecting the weather would be a, a place where i might find a lot of utility there um where oh wait where, where suddenly the what the weather comes up and i and i need to either ask the players well what's the weather like right now give me that detail of the story or we need to say oh well, let's go to the table and find out if it's sunny or windy or what. Um, it, yeah, it's Dungeon just, World gives you a, a lot of tools to work with there, like you because you can you could come up with it on your own. You could pull the group. You could go to a random table for it. You know, there, there's a lot. You, you kind of have to decide in the moment: is this worth the roll? Which I think ties into what the negatives of those tables were. Yeah. Sorry, did you have more to that thought? No, that was sort of where I was going with it. Is that when no one at the table. When everyone at the table agrees that it's not exciting enough to put a role behind, then a random table is a great way to not have to make a decision as a group and instead let something else decide for you and then play with the consequences. So the negatives of random tables as a construct, um, I think that when they're used just because, like just because it's like the way you expect yeah. these types of games to go. Because and it's like easy. The tables, 
Yeah, or, or because it's like how the GM sort of, or how a player sort of like thinks things are supposed to work and they're not doing it with an understanding of why. And what I mean by that is every time you encounter guards, does it always have to be D4 guards or can you just decide how many guards there are, you know? Or every time you treasure, it's like always D10 treasure and there's always just that like everything is spoken of in terms of a dice roll because we think it has to be, you know? Um, and the reason why that's bad is because... Um, it can lead to just potentially, I mean, sometimes it's fun to, ro to roll for things like with a high degree of frequency. It can lead to this idea that the specifics don't matter, but we're rolling to find out anyway. And if the specifics don't matter, then why are we rolling to find out would, would sort of be my question. You could just say a handful of guards is here. You know, if, if it doesn't matter, we're not going to specifically be fighting them, you know, or you could just say that you find a handful of gold or something like that. Mm -hmm. Additionally, um, if there is a system by which to randomly generate something and it's involved, um, then that can sometimes slow down play at the table unnecessarily. Like some games I've read have really flavorful systems of how you could randomly generate, uh, you know, intrigue between NPCs where there's like this table where you put a name in each of four corners and then roll for these cross connections. Or you could randomly generate like a fleshed out like aristocrat or a monster or something. But if you... Um, do that at the table the players are sitting there waiting as you're rolling dice and being like oh wait till i tell you about this guy and like three or four minutes can go by of just you looking at different pages and rolling um which you didn't account for because when you're reading the book it seems so quick um which which is a, a rookie mistake that i've made many times where i'm sitting there and i'm being like oh, i'll just randomly roll for all this stuff and then i don't realize that that's actually going to take up time at the table so in that sense the easiest solution would be make it randomized but do those roles before the game like just in my prep like roll and record what it was and to tell the players like oh yeah i randomly generated this guy like isn't that cool or whatever totally um, that's something yeah, that so i wish i had done more of as i've been playing blades in the dark where i've been waiting until we're actually playing the downtime episodes the downtime sequences to decide what their entanglement will be in blades in the dark that's a mechanic that you have an entanglement during your downtime when yeah. really I have all of the information that I need in order to make that role as prep before the uh, before the session begins. And I've been slacking on actually doing that prep because I thought I could just tackle it at the table. And then once I've made the role, it's now I have to refer to the random table. Then I have to refer to the legend for the random table. And then we have to pick as a group what the thing is. It's a whole... It's a whole elaborate process where it could have been something that I just say, here is what happens during the actual... Uh, during actual play. Now, I, I I don't know if there's a name for this technique, but I call it cues um, in in the sense of like programming where things can be added to a queue, which is just sort of the British term for line. But I'll roll for several random things and then write them sequentially or in mm. a stack in my notes. And so they're rolled randomly, but they're just rolled ahead of time. And so whenever it needs to come up, whether this be a name or whether this be, like you said, an entanglement, I just use the first one in that list and then cross it off. Totally. And then when another one comes up, I use the second one. And we've so talked, I've already randomized them. We've but, talked before you know. about backpocketing particular scenarios or issues that pop up so that you always have something to pull out in the in gameplay. This is a really great way to prepare those is to generate using your random generator of choice. Generate what those things are. Take the ones you like and keep them in an organized way. Oh, yeah, and it's never wasted prep because if you don't use them all in a session, then you just start from there for the next time you're making prep. Is, Absolutely. You know, you've already generated that. And and if the player is ever, like, 
see the queue or you want to refresh it or anything like that. It's just a couple of rolls to do so. But the time it saves at the table like really adds up, um, and it can. It, it's the difference between having. Um, uh, it makes you seem like an excellent off-the-cup improver because you can just look down and you, you thought of this sort of ahead of time. Yeah, you've got it in but big red Sharpie, you know, the snappy. elves attack. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay, I think... Um, so I've got one more I've got one more flaw that I think we alluded to earlier with our random generation. Oh, yeah. This this leans again into the random generation as prep question. I think that one thing we as GMs need to be very careful of, especially in Dungeon World is looking for resources that do all of our work for us in a random way. I'm thinking specifically about some of the online dungeon generators that are keyed into a particular rule set, usually Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder, where it actually generates a grid-based map with rooms and corridors and things that populate all those spaces. I think that those are really, like, a really, they can be a really robust tool, and if that's what your group is looking for, that's great. But the the risk of course is that you end up with a cow in the room randomly yeah it's arbitrary just except instead of it being satisfyingly so yeah yeah. except instead of it being something like arbitrary and weird like a cow it's more like in this room there are five goblins and then in the next room there's a spider that would have eaten those five goblins realistically so if we're going to use that sort of tool as uh as a major element of our prep we got to make sure that we're going in there and then thinking about it rationally and seeing you know in six months would this still be the state of the world you know, yeah. in much the same the way justification that, stage. Yeah, in much the same way that, like, in a front, we look at them as what happens if the PCs don't intervene with what it is that we've planned. We should look at our at our prep, especially random prep, and see well, what will happen if they don't engage with this? Will it stay the same, or will it change dramatically as a result of their non-action? Um, and if the answer to that is, oh yeah, it'll stay pretty much the same, then maybe what you have isn't particularly exciting. Um, so yeah, that's sort of one last little, little thing to thing to be careful of is if you're going to use random tables that generate whole adventures or whole pieces of content, make sure that they hold up under scrutiny because players will feel like they're not being listened to if they can't uh, attach their own meaning to it because it will interfere with what you've planned. I um I thought of a a quick analogy that I think is relevant to some current events, but uh, many out there who are sci-fi or video game fans will know of the game No Man's Sky, and um, it's, a, it's a game that's become infamous in the past uh, year or a little bit more. Since, since it's released it's, in 2015, um, right? That, yeah, that was a 2015 game, I think. Or, and even more or so in like, the build-up to that. Yeah. But um, it's the game that that is the poster child for, um, you know, quantity over quality, you know, just in the sense that the whole selling point of the game was an basically functionally infinite universe that you could not in a human lifetime visit every planet in that game because it was randomly generated, right? Um, but it it was arbitrary that every planet was just a different color and just a bunch of rocks and stuff and just a, a bunch of open space that um, was cool and certainly no other game of handcrafting every level could stand up to that um and and there are reasons why that was good right that in some ways it would always be fresh of like what you're actually encountering and in terms of raw content the the play time for the game was functionally infinite but the argument can be made that uh, any given planet on no man's sky that just happens to be the way it is can't hold a candle to a tightly designed level in another game where that's a handcrafted experience with interesting interactions that were put there with some designer giving it thought and consideration totally I think the happy medium for a GM sits between the two because 
sometimes indie games with really thoughtful level design, they suffer from the problem of they're too short. You finish the game in like two hours, right? And so at the table, if you have one super detailed encounter, or one really interesting like political situation the characters navigate or one really interesting monster encounter and then suddenly the quality noticeably drops off that the players like go somewhere else and you're like oh, i don't know here's just a bunch of dudes um that um you know that's not ideal and it's also not ideal if there's you know massive hex crawl to explore but every hex just kind of has a random jumble of things you kind of have to use the randomness to ease you know, to give you enough to play with and then give it the the artist's touch of making it meaningful, like like going over everything and making sure it, it's everything is serving the tone, serving the experience you want to create. Absolutely. We, we have to think of these these random tables as another tool in our adventure workshop. And with that in mind, I think it's time for us to jump into our next segment of the show to talk about one particular way in which randomness can dramatically change the face of Dungeon World. So let's get into MetaTalk. All right, we've just downed another round. I'm feeling really good. Oh, how about you, Arthur? Oh, wow, it's so high up here. I, whoa, boy. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm your, I'm your designated, I'm your designated uh, fall, fall prevention buddy. So I've been just drinking water. So I, I really appreciate you looking out for me, man. Whoa, okay, okay. What were we talking this about? Little, uh, I'm gonna use this little strip of uh, banana plant leaves to strap you to your seat. So okay, we'll be this good. this is great. This is great for me. I'm feeling a lot better. All right, what were we talking about? Um, All right, so bringing it back down to earth, we were talking about randomness, especially as it uh, refers to character generation, is the kind of topic that we're moving into here in Meta Talk. Uh, this is a meta topic because it is something that happens before the game, and it's something that involves out-of-game talk with the characters of, hey guys, we're going to be using this process. And it's also meta because it's in, in design philosophy. That Dungeon World notably sits on a kind of opposite camp of this philosophy, that um, done the default way, um, playing vanilla, rules is written, nothing in character generation um, is random for a dungeon world character your health how much load you can carry what your stats are uh, which class you're playing which moves you take that's all selected intentionally by the player um you you know you get to you have a basic stat line you get to assign those as you wish you know th those inform all the other numerical aspects of your character and it's all intentional because they're wanting those choices to matter but um that can lend uh things to be stale at times and even if it's not stale it's you're, you're trapped within the choices that you're liable to make uh, whereas the thing that randomness sometimes is you might end up if you randomly generate a character you end up playing a type of character that you never would have played otherwise but that you had a good experience with that you might not have thought you might and being able to have the interesting challenge of rationalizing something so some games take this to the um they basically wrap a whole game around that. Like I was saying with my little one-shot earlier, uh, playing with a game system called Troika, that rolling on that random table is full of stuff that you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't think of as being your character concept. And if you don't like it, you can always say, hey, Jam, can I just re-roll? Or you can even pick off that list if you want. But it, it ends up being this really interesting role-playing challenge of, you know, I ended up rolling just some some blind snake charmer you know that's my character now and um it creates this um interesting interplay between investment and detachment because a lot of times when a character's craft craft every aspect of the character by hand like in dungeon world they get really attached to them and 
in their mind, if they lose this character, it's a whole process to make another. Less so than in D&D. I see D&D characters a lot of times being super, sorry, D&D players being very attached to their characters. And if they die, they know that it's going to be like 20 minutes or 30 minutes or even more of work to create a new one. Um, whereas there's a, a level of detachment if they randomly rolled the character. Where if, if they die, you can just randomly roll another equally interesting person from the bag. And it's kind of it kind of lends a lighthearted tone to the game where they're not afraid to take risks. But at the same time, the magic moments come when this guy that they randomly rolled, or girl, of course, this character that they randomly rolled, they get invested in. And they don't want to lose them. They don't want to be thrown to chance again. And that creates those magic moments for me, which is why those games work. And I'm really interested, Arthur, in how can we can bring that magic and layer a system like that onto Dungeon Worlds. For sure. So right off the bat, I'm thinking back to the example that we looked at earlier with our monkey monger. I would never have come up with monkey monger when I was when I'm generating character concepts for NPCs or PCs alike. So the the first thing off the top of my head that I can think of is how great would it be if when we start our dungeon world campaign, we have the option to reach into the bag and pick out a background like that where it just is something that is so arcane and specific that we can't help but really invest ourselves in it. Um, and then we can go through character creation as usual from there with that background in mind. That sounds really, really compelling. But then on the other hand, there's the risk that if you have you know a, a 2d6 table, then you end up with 36 possibilities. And then once you've played 36 characters, you've exhausted all of them, which is a risk with tables in general. Um, at those at those points, um, you can have it like every time you cross one off, you just write a new one. And this, uh, we were talking last week about uh, GMless games. This is almost a sort of GMless procedure that you're putting on top of Dungeon World that the players get to contribute to that. So they're not if they contribute an idea to the table, they're not necessarily the one who's going to get to benefit from it, yeah. or just sort of live with it in general. But they've fleshed, they, they've helped populate this table. I could see a lot of ways this could be applied to um, Dungeon World. What you were saying there is just go through the character creation process as normal, but in addition to your class, you have some kind of background. I think we could make a table like that that would be interestingly suited for Dungeon World um, that you have to justify whatever the table says as well as your class. So, for example, if the table says um, recent Kingslayer, you know, that's that's your background, that you, you were just a, someone who has recently killed a king and you decide what that means, um, but you're playing a paladin. That's a really interesting concept to start out with as a character. Or if, and if the table just had a few quick snippets of background stuff like that, or the table might say like discoverer of the levitation stone. Does that mean you still have it on your person? Does that not, you know, that type of stuff. And maybe you're playing a barbarian, you know, that th those create interesting character, um, both synergies and dichotomies that I think would enhance, um, add an interesting random element to it. Other things we could do, we could randomize uh, stats is a really interesting hack, I think. Yeah, you can do um, the traditional roll for your stat scores by you know rolling 46 for each of them and dropping the lowest and assigning those results. Yeah, for for those uh, unfamiliar with this, maybe you've only played Dungeon World and are, are, aren't used to this, uh, there are so many ways to randomize stats in role-playing games. The most common, um, the most, uh, well, I, it's hard to even say the most common one. The one that you just said, Arthur, was a sort of heroic style where you roll 4d6 for each number, which is going to um, uh, give you numbers ranging from 4 to... Um, or Were you saying 4d6 dropped the lowest? Right, so 4d6, and then you, you okay. drop... So you end up with 3d6, but they're the best 3d6. 
of the yeah, four. so that that gives you a stat from um three to eighteen, which is you know in in between that that range of how dungeon world stats go um but it's it's slating you towards having a slightly heroic stats since you're giving yourself sort of advantage on that role um some people who really like to just play with the roll of the dice just go three d six raw and they just go in order where instead of rolling a set of six numbers that you then get to assign you just your stats are as they are and that's after you pick your class or sometimes before as you wish which can really be interesting so say you've already decided to play a wizard but your wizard happens to have you know 16 strength and like eight int int like that's really interesting to start a game and in fact a, sometimes a stat line that wouldn't even be possible in in dungeon world because dungeon world by default you only have one stat below zero with the modifier but if you roll them randomly you might have more and so those are situations that we couldn't even achieve with dungeon world as written that the randomness allows us to do and some people will be like why would i want my character stats to be negative and the question uh the the answer is you you, you wouldn't necessarily um uh the, you also had the potential with that method to get insane stats where if you have a plus three for like almost everything but the fact that it's the the random chance and you're forced to live with the consequences is the whole fun of it and if that doesn't sound like your thing then it might not be but yeah um no pressure to do it but i do think it helps you discover your character background if you're not sure exactly how you're going to allot your stats i feel like in general with dungeon world what we'll do is we'll create characters we'll put our plus two in the key stat for that player for that uh, playbook because you know if you're a fighter then you probably want either high dex or high strength depending on your weapon tags if you're a bard you you almost definitely put your 16 into charisma maybe wisdom and then you know you would kind of based on the character that you've come up with and the backstory that you have in your head you start to assign out the other stuff oh well my guy is like really observant so i'm going to put the my, my 15 into wisdom and you know maybe maybe it doesn't have the greatest endurance so i'm going to make my my constitution my dump my dump stat and that's a lot of fun, but it means that I've chosen my background and then sort of decided the numbers from there. And one of those numbers is always set in stone because it's the important one for my class. And I really like this idea that if you roll all of those, then the background sort of tumbles out from that as a result. And we end up playing these really interesting characters that are just different from what we'd ordinarily do. My personal favorite sort of secret sauce way of doing it, if I have gotten the group to agree with uh, random stats... Um, no matter what system I'm playing, is roll for the stats in order, typically using 3d6, or sometimes, depending if I'm playing a, a system that uses a different number system, just a d20 roll for the stat. And then they can swap any two. So they're they're stuck with, um, like, in the order that they rolled the stat, what it is. So if, you know, you roll strength first, it's going to be whatever you rolled. But at the end, they have the option to swap any two. So if there's a big number somewhere they don't want it, they can put it where they do want it but still at the cost that whatever number was there is going to go into that spot so it still lets characters um you know give their make something a dump stat if they want it to be their dump stat or make something a high stat but it's kind of a best of both worlds both worlds there yeah um and it does... i think another uh go ahead sorry go ahead i was just gonna say that sounds like what i'm going to do with the next one shot that i run out on the dungeon world discord so <laughs> if you uh if you're down with it just keep that in mind that this is definitely going to happen next time we all play. In fact, it's it's kind of a random generation of who shows up for those. No, those, no, those this is extremely games. selective filtering on this one. No <laughs> randomness at all. 
you have to sim- you have to uh, you know back us at a high level on our non-existent Patreon, and, and you have to uh, yeah, send us an application if you want to get into these games. It's it's what? Yeah, mm, it's involved. That doesn't sound true. <laughs> nah, I'm just messing around. But yes, do do uh, do reach out if you're if this is at all interesting to you. I would love to try it out. So one more uh, random random hack for Dungeon World if we wanted to add more randomness to the character generation. Um, I guess uh, if you wanted to, you could roll uh, randomly for your class. Like if the DM was like, okay, these six classes are available, uh, roll randomly. And if you roll something someone else rolled, just roll until you get a repeat or choose the next one down on the table. Um, that'd be kind of an extreme way of doing it since the playbook determines so much of what the play experience is going to be like for Dungeon World specifically. Another way of uh, differentiating the characters in meaningful ways, but um, not that drastic ways, is randomizing gear. And this a lot of games have. Some games almost have gear as class. Like Into the Odd, one of my favorite games of all time, everyone is just playing as a human with random stats, but what makes you different is what gear you have. Because one character might start with like a magic item and that sort of makes them the de facto wizard right another character might start with like three different weapons and heavy armor and that sort of makes them the sort of de facto fighter but the interesting thing is that most characters end up somewhere in between and what you have to do is justify your motley collection of items to be useful in the campaign if you wanted in dungeon world um, you could do that in conjunction with also having adventuring gear be an item that you might have. So if you if you randomly roll uses of adventuring gear for your character to have, that means that they're the sort of prepared type and like pack rat type who like keeps a lot of gear. But another character might end up with just a sword, war paint, and some vials of poison, and that's their gear. And that speaks to the nature of the character, right? That you you justify like why does this person have only that and no food and like sort of figure those things out and that can be really really fun even if you're already playing with classes and and not even random stats but you just randomize gear it, it it adds a whole different texture to the game have you ever done anything like that arthur i have not the closest i've allowed is for players to deliberately swap out stuff that their playbook would start with by default for something that they like better for flavor which is not even remotely random it's the polar opposite but it does accomplish a similar goal of getting characters to explore their background and backstory in ways that are not limited to the sheet. My secret sauce for this, um, if it's going to be in a Dungeon World context, is the players get to pick one starting item uh, granted by their um, by their playbook. That's their, their sort of like signature token item, and they pick that from their equipment list. And uh, things that are tied up in moves don't count. Like if you're a wizard, you're, you get your spell book. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's not going to count as your item. The fighter gets his signature weapon. The ranger gets their companion. But then you pick one other item that speaks to your nature. And a lot of times, characters will use this to pick a, or players will use this to pick a weapon or to pick like something mechanical. And then everything else you roll randomly. And I like populating on that table again little little things that aren't on the playbooks already that add texture to the world. So um, one character, you know, they might roll and get like. A scrappy dog you know that's now in their gear that they have this dog that follows them that they don't necessarily have any specific command of but they you know they could do anything they could conceivably do with a dog and that's in their inventory now um or they might get um a uh, an unreliable musket you know that that's them getting sort of a free weapon from this gear roll but it speaks to the nature of the world the character's like oh okay i guess gunpowder is a thing here um and, and the things that you populate that table with can really influence that. You could do this before the game as saying, like, everyone contribute, like, 
three random items to this table, and it can be anything. And the types of things they say inform the palette and tone of the game. Like if a character includes like a flintlock pistol in this list, then now gunpowder is a thing in your world. So they can almost be used as a sort of uh, type of setting generation um, sort of mini game that definitely influences the characters directly because that's where their gear will be drawn from at character gen. I think that's really fun. And all in favor of making that the next one shot that Eamon runs on the Discord, say I right now into your <laughs> podcast catcher. We'll hear you. We have a special way of hearing you. Oh, wow. That was such a great response. I guess it's going to happen now. Yeah, really echoing off the cliffs up here. Getting me all all out of sorts. This this third <laughs> this third coconut uh coconut juice has really has really set me right. So now it's I'm, time. I'm tightening your straps. All right. Yeah. Smart because it's time for us to get to picture this and I tend to get a little bit excitable when I'm picturing <laughs> stuff. Now that he's hallucinating. Ah. Ah. Ah, they itch. They itch. It's okay, Arthur. We're still at the bar. <sighs> All right. So in today's picture of this, I've got something for you. We're going to be talking about the Dragon Keeper's Roost. This is a simple setting for a one-shot or um, or a maybe even a campaign start. My goal is to eventually write this up as a one-page dungeon, so keep an eye out for that. But here is the Dragon Keeper's Roost. You all have been traveling for days in this, in this painful, long, en- enduring hike, but you've made it. You've made it to the peak of the mountain, and there before you is the tower. The wall is the closest thing to a man-made structure that you've seen since you started your ascent, but it is not. It's almost as though it has grown out of the rock and face, or maybe even scooped. And behind it, there it looms, massive cave-like structures that almost look more like a beehive than anything else. Huge inlays into the mountain where who knows what creatures make their home. And as you cross the threshold of the wall through a, a, a poorly dug entrance, you see one man-made structure. It's a small wooden shack. And there is the smoke of a cook fire emerging from the chimney. What do you do? Mm. Have you read the Aragon uh, series? I guess it's called The Inheritance Cycle. Oh, you better believe I have. I believe we've we've talked about it at length before. And have you also seen uh, at least the first couple seasons of Game of Thrones? Oh, I certainly have. So the two locations that were kind of coming to my mind as you were describing this, um, even just in the title, were the Eerie... Um, which is this sort of castle built like very precipitously on on a on a a sheer peak uh, in Game of Thrones, and then also the um, I forget what the name for it is, but it's sort of a massive gem in in the dwarven in one of the big dwarven cities in Aragon that it is carved out uh, such that it's it's a a place where dragons and their riders can can roost. Yeah, that those definitely are two touchstones that uh, were kind of in the back of my head as I came up with this place. It is, it, it, I think it's cool for a couple of reasons. One, there's clearly somebody up here, and it was a huge pain for you all to arrive. So what are they doing here? And two, it definitely sets up the fact that there are dragons all over the place. They're probably burrowed deep into the mountain behind this little shack. And then what's this wall about? What is that keeping out? Is it even intended as a wall? Um, 
well, you know, it starts off with a little, a little bit of intrigue and sets up the fact that, that there are, you know, that there are things to be done up here. I like the fact that the wall, the wall specifically raises a lot of questions because it's clearly not built, I assume, to keep out dragons because they could just fly over it and it's it's not to that scale, I imagine. But it's also clearly not built by dragons because uh, presumably the stonework looks, you know, like it was built by some sort of humanoid. Um, so that's already an interesting consideration of like who built it, why, what is it for? Um, especially in conjunction with the fact that this is, like you said, an area where there's likely to be, to be dragons that you, you wonder why anyone who potentially has control over many or even a single dragon would need a wall. For sure. I like that a lot. Yeah. As a location. And in general, one thing that I'm, that I try to be careful of with as like a fallback is, you know, oh, it's a bunch of rooms and they're all connected to each other and they all have these purposes. This is a space that has no rooms because it's just it is self-contained, but it is also outdoors. It's an open space with lots of details in the environment, but those details don't form like clear spaces. They just push you in one direction or another. Once you're beyond the wall, there's the shack, there's the mountain, and there's whatever else we come up with in play. There's a big old blank space for us to play with, which I always enjoy leaving behind. It's a canvas. Indeed. It's sort of a way of, uh, narratively, if you're not playing a very granular game on paper that's tracking distance and stuff, it's a way of leveraging the principle of drawing maps and leaving blanks, because you've drawn a sketch a sort of of the area, but left a lot of blanks. Absolutely. Something that I try to take very seriously. And speaking of things I take seriously, it's almost time for me to get started on dinner, so it must be time for us to wrap up our show for today. Yeah, I was going to cut you off there anyway, that, that last coconut coconut uh yeah spritzer I think I've, is gonna I've, take I've got the, the i've got the munchies and now i gotta get started on on some grub and if you want to help us uh how, get our own grub here's something that you can do for us we'd love to hear from you out there in the community if you are going to use any of the stuff we've talked about today in random generation and beyond send us an email or get on the discord and let us know let us know how it goes share your thoughts if you have questions that you'd like us to address send us an email at play to find out at protonmail.com that's the email address. Play to find out at protonmail.com. We'll be keeping an eye out there. On a related note, in um, we have yeah, our contest. We have a contest indeed. The character creation contest is ongoing. We've received a few really good entrants into that, and we're looking for a ton more. So if you're just wrapping up the last details, make sure you get that in soon. I don't remember exactly what we said the end date would be. But I think uh, I think we landed on July 30th or July 31st, maybe. Um, let me check the calendar. How does July 31st at 11.59 p.m. sound, Eamon? Um, Pretty good to me. All right. So if it is not done by July 31st uh, at 11.59 p.m. and you send it after that, we will be very sad. If you need a little bit more time, let us know in advance and we can try to make that work. We can offer individual case-by-case -case extensions. But we're really excited. We've, I'm already really happy with some of the stuff we've seen, and I cannot wait to see more. And to that point... I really want to like mention stuff that we've seen. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm actively, I'm actively squelching the urge to just shout out how much I love... Uh, excuse me. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then finally, if you like the show and like what we're doing and you want to help us make more of it, get on iTunes, leave a review, preferably a five-star review if that's how you feel about us. And if it's not, you know, tell us what we can do better or what you'd like to see more of. 
because we want to make this as much fun for all of you as it is for us. So, yeah, I, some some really helpful feedback actually is um, show topics because that tells us what you guys have an interest in hearing more about and what we can incorporate uh, into our games, especially since when we do our um, our, uh, our our call-in shows, we try to incorporate the topics that have been talked about since the last one. Additionally, as a little um, footnote for this episode in particular, I wanted to call out the the small handful of, of links that we're going to have in the show description. Um, I'm putting Troika down there um, for you guys. There's a free artless edition, so you can check out that uh, table that we got the monkey monger from and all the rest of the stuff from that game and see how a game with no setting material can uh, create a... Uh, a tone and a world just from random tables. I'm putting a link to a Dungeon World improv page um, that can help you just generate small collections from the book in a quick format, like a list of knacks uh, that you can pick from. It has a PC name generator. You can use it to generate um, GM moves for like inspiration, that type of thing. Uh, and monsters, of course. And finally, um, a, a, a certain edition of Into the Odd, which is one of my favorite sort of lightweight uh, OSR-ish type games that is all on one page. It's a one-page edition of Into the Odd that's basically built out of random tables. Um, and the reason I'm calling those out specifically is because um, I'm interested in you guys uh, messaging us through whatever avenue you choose. Uh, probably the, just the Discord channel would be easier. Um, items uh, for uh, random random tables that and I'll collect whatever you guys say, not in a contest format or anything, but just to like sort of affect some of the hacks that we mentioned in this episode for Dungeon World. So if you wanted to submit uh, thematic backgrounds or thematic gear that could be used to randomly generate uh, Dungeon World tables, um, yeah, go ahead and uh, message me um, or either of us, and I'll collect them into a table sized dependent on the amount of feedback. It might be a D10 table, it might be a D100 table, or a D66. Very cool. I can't wait to see the table that ends up coming together from this. Yeah. And So to reiterate, um, backgrounds and gear are the two ones that I'm interested in. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Once again, this has been Play to Find Out, the Dungeon World podcast from the Dungeon World Discord. Now, Eamon, if you could just untie these banana straps, I will be just fine. I promise. I'm good to go. All right. Yeah, I've got a machete right here. Hold still. Ah, ah. We're all good. And that's going to do it for us this week on Play to Find Out. Take care. <laughs>